Come on. Math. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the only podcast produced by three two-time winners of IMSA Spirit of the Race Award. You're tuned into the Check Engine Podcast. We're hosted on Anchor.fm, and we're streamed worldwide on all the platforms that you use to listen to your favorites. My name is Nick. I've got my two co-hosts back with me after a week away. Andrew and Tristan are here, but in addition, we are very excited to have the two hosts of the famous Dinner with Racers podcast. Are They're here with us. We've got champion driver Ryan Eversley and champion marketing and PR man Sean Heckman both on the line. Gentlemen, welcome and thank you for being here. You're welcome. Hi. <laughs> we, we appreciate your enthusiasm. <laughs> did, did I hear no, we the smallest it, guys. and uh, farthest away air horn ever? <laughs> I did. I heard, I, heard, I heard an air horn sound effect. Do you have questions? Nick, go. <laughs> All right. Number, there we go. Uh, number, I guess the number one question would be, um, no, but well, Nick, you did forget to mention not only a podcast, a show on Amazon as well. I'm not doing it justice. That is correct. Yeah, Recently. I thought you were about to say you weren't doing it. It's like, you're going to goddamn promote that show for fuck's sake. <laughs> respect their brand. I'm not doing it. This is our brand. Yeah, respect the brand. Yes, also found on Amazon Prime. Um, Personally, I love the episode in um, the Jamaican Big Money Race episode. So far, been my favorite. Yeah, Um, we were big fans of that one, too. So, yeah, folks, find them on Amazon. I imagine you were. (laughs) Imagine you were. Um, So we're going to get into it with these guys, ask some questions. Um, but as we normally do on the Check Engine podcast, we'll open with some quick news tidbits in a segment we like to call Pace Laps. Andrew, there is one big elephant in the room that we need to uh, talk about today. I mean, I, cert- I certainly need to uh, because it finally happened. Jim is gone. Jim Hackett is gone from Ford, um, and it's about time. Uh, he, uh, I'm seeing like these sort of middling postmortems, like, oh, his legacy is mixed. It's like, no, his legacy can just be bad. He did a bad job. Um, and that's, that's it. He's gone. So I guess they have no choice but to try to improve from here. It's be careful with your wording saying Jim is gone because they're replacing him with another Jim. So Jim Hackett is gone. Yes. Um, Jim is dead. Long live the Jim. Exactly. Is they're um, their promotion of the predecessor who's taking over in October I, is like, don't worry, he's a real car guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at least from what I've read, and I'm like that. Yeah, that's kind of the that's kind of the point, right? Now, well, has this Jim the next Jim had dinner with uh, a Harbaugh at all? Because that seemed to be really important in Hackett's promotion. Yeah, I have no idea. I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> you know, no news on whether or not he likes milk and steak together. Well, that's fine. 
TBD. Jim Farley is coming in, and yeah, they're like, don't worry, he's a he's a true car guy. But like, Ryan, through your association with Honda and Acura, I'm sure you've talked to your share of bigwigs. Isn't being a car guy kind of a prerequisite anyway? Not anymore. It used to be, but now you've got so many people that are more business-related and business-educated that they're bringing in. And then they hope that the engineers build the cars to be proper cars. And then there's always the debate between the the big wigs that are like, well, no, I, I have a number I need to hit. And you have engineers that are like, but I want this thing to drive like it's supposed to drive. And that's kind of the way that goes. But well, the one thing I know about Jim Farley, doesn't he race like a vintage original GT40? Yes, I believe he does. They, I didn't so, see that specifically in the right. articles I was looking up. So um, I would say that makes him more of a car guy than probably almost everybody on this podcast right now. <laughs> he does, <laughs> he does in fact. Yeah, you're correct. <laughs> probably. Yeah. I mean, let's hope so. Um, actually, on that note, Sean, um, yeah. how do you think Ford looks? How do you think they've done with their branding? How do you think this SUV, uh, pr- promoting SUV only and also telling people that this is what they want um, that was sort of championed as a as a milestone in Hackett's legacy, right? Like, oh, we're giving people what they want, even though they only get one thing. Is that is that a marketing success, being able to say that, or is that just talk? Are you asking me to shit on a brand that one day could sponsor us? <laughs> I, I am asking for your analysis on their marketing. I, yeah, it could actually help them improve if, if they need to. So one of the contract agencies, here's a little inside talk for you, is a group called uh, Campbell Marketing. Um, and they have had some amazing people work for them, such as David Baltazar, Lachelle Laney. Um, so I think people that work there at Campbell Marketing are phenomenal to work with. And I have nothing but, but great things to say about Campbell Marketing. Fabulous. <laughs> great Next answer. Part, go. <laughs> I love it. You got to do the air horn. Uh, it's it's on an app, and I'm too busy texting bitches. So uh, <laughs> I over. please, are you goddamn happy now, Ryan? Is it your show? There it is. Please keep us up to date on his um, messages from bitches. I mean, you did it. That's fair. Did you see how we pulled that little <laughs> alpha move? Uh, yeah. See, you did it. Uh, you did George. it. Earn this. All right. Okay. All right. Enough of enough of Is our any show other, parts. Any, any <laughs> other of our show parts? You want to make fun yeah, of? Any other, are you going to talk about any other brands that are fantastic yeah. that aren't continental? Are you going to what else are we going to do here? <laughs> no, no. Nice. We this this is real podcast hours here. We I, want we want to know about. Are you about to podcast? We want to talk about from Shell next. Is that what you're going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Go on. <laughs> no, go ahead. Do you guys edit this? Go ahead, me. How about you? You're in the process of asking the question. Oh, uh, no. I, I just wanted to kind of redirect us on to getting uh, into the actual guests instead of us just, you know, shitting on uh, Ford and ruining <laughs> the, the dinner with racer reputation. We didn't say anything bad. I said nothing but good things about Campbell Marketing. I would that like is to super true. And I told you the Everyone, one thing I know about Jim Farley is that he races a vintage GT40. Yeah, which is which is a good thing. Definitely. 
That is true. So, okay, I'll start this off with a question for Sean. Um, sure. So, you got five. Where did your um, involvement with motorsports begin? Because, like, Media Barons covers a wide array of things. So, you, you right. it talks about commercials and pilots and um, things like that. But then, then you have also got this motorsports PR marketing arm. Did what came first, I guess? Was it motorsports and then the rest or the other way around? Well, I, I come from a racing family. Um, so like back in like late 50s, early 60s, my dad used to race late models on dirt um, or they were like modifieds. They were kind of in their own thing. So like he used to race quite a bit in North Carolina on dirt tracks. Um, so for example, like when I used to, when I started getting into racing, um, I was like second or third in my first race. And, uh, and my dad, his name was Ralph. Um, and he, uh, he once, uh, railed on me when I was proud of the fact that, that I got second or third, especially knowing that I had an old junk motor. And as he was pulling out of the driveway, um, he said, it's not the guy with the best motor. It's the guy that refuses to lose. Um, and that was some of the, some of the great quotes from guys like, uh, Ralph Earnhardt. So that, that always stuck with me. And so, uh, uh, so that's where I am today as far as being a, a racing guy. Got it. Did, so when you got involved with media barons was your intention all along to be motorsports marketing or was you know i guess how what's where yeah. did that come into the to the professional well one so realm? one of my business models has always been to find out how to work harder than everyone else for less money okay uh, and so i was like motorsports that's <laughs> what it could be um and and that legacy has has brought me here today. So, uh, you know, in, in the beautiful city of Los Angeles, I'm on the outskirts in Monterey Park uh, and and uh, with a staff of thousand, um, mainly stuffed animals. But uh, but the the career path in, in racing is a it's a long story. But but basically, I, I came from racing and uh, and then kind of gave up uh, and went to college, was going to work in TV. And that's where I did work for several years. And then, uh, was fortunate enough, uh, about 15 years ago, uh, to sell a television show to a burgeoning HD network, uh, to do a, a thing about a, a car that was debuting at the Rolex 24 at Daytona. And that introduced me to kind of getting myself back into the sport, uh, and starting my own kind of group, which is basically what we are still. And we're millionaires. <laughs> <laughs> Dripping with sarcasm, that last phrase. Yes. Um, so, I mean, who was that first client of yours on the motorsports side that um, gave you gave you that chance to break into it? And the the reason I'm asking this, just quick background here, like I I wanted to get involved in motorsports my entire um, childhood. Um, right. I still race club carts you know, on the weekends, like I, I realized in college that Roger Penske wasn't knocking on my door anytime soon. Um, I wasn't mechanically inclined. I thought, well, the business side of it is really important. So I went through marketing. I did internships at local racetracks. Tristan was involved with me going down to Indianapolis on a random resume delivery trip Cool. Um, to all the different race shops. And it was just it was a struggle. There were a few people who reached out and um, gave me some great advice on things, but like there wasn't that one person who really like, here's where you need to go. Here's who you need to talk to. So who was that person for you? Uh, that's a, that's a, a multi-pronged question. <laughs> where'd you intern by the way? Or where'd you try? 
So I interned at a local short track up here in Wisconsin, Slinger Speedway. Oh, yeah. Awesome. That was fast a quarter mile oval. Yeah. Well, the banking is like 70 degrees. Yes. You cannot uh, walk up it. You need to yeah. crawl. Yeah. Have you ever been there in the middle of uh, the snow in like March? I have not been there in the middle of the snow in March. Well, um, we have, so you're clearly not willing to sacrifice enough. Um, <laughs> uh, not surprising. Ryan and I Speedway. <laughs> Thank we, you. Thank you, Ryan. Was early <laughs> early mid-March that we were there? Yeah, um, it was like the first week of March. It was the first week of March. It was completely closed down, but they let us they let us open the gates on our own, basically, and, uh, and walk around in the freezing cold to get some footage for a, a video that we did. And um, it was so cold there that we literally had to take breaks from shooting so I could get in the car to, to feel my fingers again, which not necessarily because I'm a wuss I am, but, but literally so that I could feel the buttons on the camera to work. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's literally <laughs> our, our memory of Slinger. Yeah. Slinger is, uh, uh, yeah. Slinger has got a long history with my family. My dad was on our, um, you know, would help wrench on some cars up there. He was actually, a he ended his, uh, crewman life as a spotter for one of the super late model teams up there. So cool. um, it was fitting that I got to kind of cut my teeth, if you will, there. I ran like the pit tours um, oh. and like hospitality type yeah. stuff. Um, when we'd get Kyle Bush or a Matt Kenseth or somebody up there, I would kind of be there. What was that suitor person driving him around from autograph session to autograph session and stuff. So it was fun. Um, cool. What was you, you mentioned the banking being so high. The the pace car driver told me once, like the, one of the local car dealerships would give us a new car to run as the pace car every year. Mm-hmm. And um, we had to get with the technicians because the first time out one year with this new pace car, um, it would go into the corners and the engine would shut off because it thought it was rolling over <laughs> because it was banked so steep. So we had to go like, go back to the dealership and have a technician like, unplug that fuse or reroute the wiring so the car wouldn't shut off on us twice a lap so (laughs) (laughs) that is amazing see so you've lived your life you're good you don't need to work in racing (laughs) (laughs) yeah i got my taste i got my taste of it that's literally who our marketing people is walking people around the paddock and and uh and and saying you you worked with kyle bush and matt kenton that's pretty much as uh, we know we know older pr folks now who live from 20 years ago and still tell stories about, you know, walking Danny Sullivan around and stuff like that. So it's it's the same thing. You're already, you're fine. You're fine. Well, I appreciate that. But what, um, yeah, ahead. so like, who was it for you though? Like, who was that first client that gave you a break? Uh, the first, uh, it would, it was Frank Williams. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't Frank. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the key, the key to my success in racing. And I do say success, uh, because again, I am a millionaire. I have an office in Monterey park, California. Um, let's be real. The, uh, the, the key to success is have one distinguishable talent that everyone can take advantage of. (laughs) (laughs) If you have that, you're gonna be fine. If, if you can look somebody in the eye and they can look at you back and go, how can I exploit the shit out of this 24 year old? Then you're gonna, then you're gonna make it. So, uh, so how old are you guys now? 
It's too late. Yeah, it's, it's too, too late. late. Too old. <laughs> but you're just, and Nick, you're not nearly exploitable enough. You're just going to have to be satisfied with having a life where you're paying your bills comfortably and probably are working on retirement and uh, probably have a life outside of this goddamn nonsense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wait, yeah, Tristan, fine. Tristan, did you just say Nick doesn't even have one exploitable talent? Oh. No, I just said he's not. Ex- I said he's not exploitable enough. Exactly. He's like, yeah. He doesn't even have the talent. <laughs> he's got something, but it's not really talent. It's not exploitable. <laughs> I've said this multiple times on here. I work with assholes. <laughs> yeah. We well, that is, that's actually a, that's a usable feature in racing. Yeah. Working with assholes. Yeah, absolutely. We, we've made a whole show out of it. Us. <laughs> more, more or less, so have we, actually. But far, far, far smaller. Cool. Stop. Next I, question. Yeah. These guys have the real show, the real deal. They have reached the heady heights. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Silence. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, I would like to ask about the show and the podcast and, and where you view your current trajectory. Like, do you think that it's up from here? Do you think it's even from here? Do you think you've achieved what you wanted? Well, we're trying to win an Emmy. Obviously, that's awesome. So when we get in our Emmy, then we'll be done. I don't. Uh, I believe the nominations have already come out. I did not see us listed. Hmm. So we still have. Is a there anybody we can call on your behalf? Yeah, um, Emmys dot com. If you look them up, I think it's info at Emmys dot com. Send them a note. Got it. <laughs> we'll do. I'm on it right now. <laughs> Ryan. In- mm- uh, you, you, in you terms of the it. podcast, do you think? <laughs> oh, <no>. Go ahead. <laughs> That's it. That's so it. let's let's take a let's take a step back quick. So, Ryan, how did you and Sean link up, and whose idea was it to to do the dinner with racers thing? <sighs> Ryan, <laughs> um, yeah, we uh, we we we've talked about it quite a bit, but we knew each other through his Frank Williams internship and, uh, decided to come together, uh, basically through discussions with Andy Lally and, uh, uh, Spencer from and a couple of our other friends that worked at Williams F1 at the time, like Shannon Davis and, uh, decided that we would put this idea together. But the original idea was let's do something based on TV and, uh, let's try to, you know, come up with a decent way of giving fans the internal look at what it's like to hang out and have dinner with your friends in racing. And then immediately Sean was smart enough to say, look, that, where does that live? How do you produce it? Who's going to pay for it? And we're a bunch of dumb drivers. So we're like, would well, you, you do it? And of course he was like, great. Thanks. <laughs> thanks a lot. And so with something they could exploit. And so, uh, eventually we started discussing podcasts and, uh, we were fans of a couple of different shows that had long formatted in- interviews. And so we just kind of came up with the idea together and it was something that started at dinners that we would have at racetracks. Cause you don't get to see your friends when they live in other parts of the country as much. So you get together on race weekends if you have a free night. And so we would traditionally myself, uh, Heckman, Lally, Pompelli, and a few others, we'd get together and talk about just, you know, whatever. And, uh, we still do this by the way. And, 
we kind of came up with the idea as a group, but Sean and I were the only two that kept talking about it. You know, we'd see each other in the paddock at a race and just be like, Oh yeah, what about this? Or what about that? And we just keep spitballing and spitballing. And then eventually we both had mutual contacts at continental tire. And so they were really big on sponsoring sports car racing at the time. And I think I was the only driver really utilizing that branding that they were putting into it. And, uh, it was pretty simple cause they'd already offered for me to go do a bunch of little social media projects with them. So when we said, Hey, we'd like, we'd like to do this. They were like, yeah, no problem. And we made the biggest mistake you can possibly make, which is proposing for not enough money. So point being <laughs> always ask for like five times what you need. Yeah. We, yeah. We, we wouldn't talk you down. Right. Yeah. We went the number and they went, yeah. And, and we, we were went, like, Ooh. Oh, yeah, oops. <laughs> oh, <laughs> whoops. Oh. And at that point, you can't go back and be like, well, no, 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 what we mean is... <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. you yeah. can in racing, but uh, but we we always have had the color orange, not blue. Yeah, so, uh, so that's how it kind of began. And then through my, my job with uh, Acura and uh, Honda, we were able to get vehicles from them for the project. So it's just been uh, a dream come true ever since. A dream come true ever since. So... Um, did like, did you guys have any expectations of like, this is going to garner, you know, garner this many listens or like, how has the feedback been for you guys, you know, after the first season and, and now I think you're what, five road trips or five seasons deep. This is actually year six. It's kind of a weird year, but it is year six, which is insane. (laughs) Uh, So as far as the expectation reaction, I would say it's an insight into the psychology of Ryan versus me. Why do I say that, Ryan? Um, Good answer. I uh, Well, (laughs) actually, I didn't hear what you You said until I get totally cut out. But the the whole thing was the original original response that I had – when we, we decided we were going to do this, I thought, oh, this is going to be great. It's going to be awesome because I knew Sean's talent was going to be easily able to exploit, as always, and that we we had enough good people that were interested in listening to what we had to pitch them on being guests that I was like, oh, this is going to go great. And Sean was like, hey, not, not for nothing, but I worked in Hollywood for all these years, and I've seen amazing talent with proper production companies and budget go to go to put out a product and it just fails and it's surprising you think about all the shows that you like that only did one season you're like i don't get it you know and that's just how it is sometimes so he's like so i know you're thinking this is going to be great but you have to be prepared this could totally be a one and done failure that we look like idiots on and i was like oh okay i was never never worried about (laughs) product per se um it wasn't an issue of product but but especially working on the pr marketing side of the sport I lived in a different world as far as where I felt numbers really were and how, uh, how big was this audience base going to be and things like that. And so I was always very skeptical that this would really pull numbers. Yeah. So then we decided to go on a 30, 30 day road trip after he deflated my, my hopes like that. I was like, Oh, cool. I guess we'll drive to drive to new Orleans today. Yeah. Let's drive for 17 hours a day. (laughs) So was that, was that, um, was the the road trip thing in like a part of the plan from the beginning or is that just because of commitments due to racing? Like this is the time we can squeeze it in. This is what, this is how it kind of has to be done. Well, kind of even today, go ahead, Ryan. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, the, the reality is, is that the only way you can get the amount of people that we need to get and, uh, uh, 
within their schedules. Cause I mean, we try to go after as, you know, interesting people as possible and they're generally busy and the budget that it would take to just fly for like, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, it's through the roof. And so to do this, the way we do it, a, we need the scheduling time of like the off season because of both of our other commitments, but B like, if you just tried to fly around, stay in a hotel for a week at one place, it, it adds up pretty quickly. And the kind of budget that people think we have is nowhere near the budget we really started out with. So I think the misconception is, look how great this is. I bet I could do that if I had that kind of budget. And the reality is, is that Sean and I have shared hotel rooms for six years of doing this. Yeah. <laughs> Goddamn <laughs> glamour. Yeah, we eat through a lot of, lot of drive-through windows. So, yeah. yeah. So i am been dominating this so far, so I'll let the other guys cut in here in a second. But my, my f- one follow-up question to that is when you're done with your road trip, like how long is it before you text or call one another again? Like how much, <laughs> how much time away do you need from one another? Because I spend a weekend camping with these two idiots that I'm with and like I just need a break. <laughs> this, is, this is the best question so like I've ever been asked. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> yes. I don't, even, I don't even know how to answer that one. That's going on the website. We, we talk on the next road trip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we talk on we we talk on podcasts like this one, and then the next road trip. Yeah. Right. That's fair. It it generally it generally is like as soon as the other person is is on on their plane home or dropped off or whatever it is it's usually a bit of time passes before we, we have to talk to each other. Unfortunately we have, or I mean, sorry, fortunately we have more going on now with the TV show as well as continuing the podcast so that we have to talk quite a bit more than we did private you know, pre- previously. But uh, I'd say the early days of the podcast, we would get home from the trip, like roughly the beginning of November ish, and then wouldn't speak until the end of the month when Sean would start to put out, you know, things for me to, to either look at, listen to, or come up with ideas with them on. And, uh, honestly, it's, it's mostly because once we're done with the show, I go back to being a race car driver and Sean starts putting the content together as well as handling his other clients, you know? So, right. um, DWR has become a big part of Sean's business with the media bearings, but he still does have other things that they do and they're really good at it. So he can't just be like, ah, sorry, I got this little thing I'm doing over here as well. So, we generally you don't talk that, for a internet? while. <laughs> <laughs> Why not any more episodes? Internet. I've seen that a lot on your on your Twitter and Instagram lately. Mm-hmm. We have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this was after we spent months making a dinner with racers, iRacing League, and yeah. we visibly were maybe just traveling for six or seven weeks straight. And uh, and yet we hear from the internet pretty quick. So Okay. Again, I hate to keep bogarting this, Andrew and Tristan, but that's a really good transition. So we know how you guys stayed busy during the COVID shutdown with the racing league, the iRacing league. But like Ryan, as someone who actually gets a chance to drive these cars for a living, like are the Sims as real as a lot of people claim they are? Because like for me, who's someone who's never gotten past a go-kart, I love it. Cause I feel like I'm actually doing it, but is it really, is it really like that? It's, it, I mean, it's not really a fair question. I, I, basically I, I really like iRacing and uh, 
you know, I'll, I'll go and use Sean's simulator that he has and I'll just practice, you know, like I'll just do like the testing, whatever. So it doesn't screw up his rating because he's way better at it than I am. And I think the reality is, is that some people figure it out right away. Some people are really good at video games. So they have that natural transition into doing simulations and stuff like that. But I think at the end of the day, the biggest thing to take away from it is like, it's competitive as hell, which is what you want in any kind of racing or competition anywhere. And it's, it's hard. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You can't just turn it on and be like, ah, it's easy. Like no matter who you are, you're going to have to work at it really hard. And so that makes it enjoyable. And that makes it, you know, something you have to respect. I think where it loses interest for some people is that when they struggle with it, you know, that's like, well, why, why would you keep putting the time in if it's not something that you're really enjoying because it's become a job. And what I saw, and this is true with a lot of pro racers during the shutdown, they were spending so much time testing and testing for these leagues to try to be good at it that it took the fun out of it for them. So like literally like, I don't even want, like I text a good friend of mine, Scott Andrews, who's been really good in esports. Like he's been winning like the, the W uh, WC races and stuff. He's just all over the place. He's doing awesome with it. And I text mm-hmm. him, I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm playing call of duty. I couldn't stand to play racing anymore. You know, it's just like not fun. So, <laughs> you, you know, so I, I think that's part of it, but like, it becomes a stigma of like, well, is real racing better or, or worse than I racing? It's like just two different things. You don't have to take either of them that seriously if it doesn't affect you, but it's easy for the internet to get fired up and, and make it, you know, kind of become not so much fun. Our, our biggest problem was, is that we created a league that was supposed to be stupid and we'd have people complaining about not getting in the main race. Like it makes a difference, you know, or, you know, <laughs> cause we ran a couple and, and things like that. And what the bigger problem for Sean was is that he loves it playing iRacing, but it, he lost all his time to do it and his interest because he was putting up with our shit. So, I was admitting our league and not actually goddamn driving. Yeah. Yep. I, I do think that league was a seriously impressive undertaking. I, it seemed like, I mean, obviously um, it was more wisdom rather than luck, but it hit at the right time. It seemed like everyone loved it. It was super popular. And, um, I mean, I can't imagine what that took on the back end. Oh, it was nothing. What do you mean? <laughs> I just, I just <laughs> called up my staff. I was like, hey, staff, let's do this. And they're like, right away, boss. And then we called all of our OEM partners and we got it funded. And, uh, um, and, and then we looked to other leagues to see how we could rip them off. And, uh, <laughs> and, we put on, and then we put on a sports car race uh, with only one category uh, about twice a month. <laughs> and we made so sure I, that we only used one category so we could alienate a lot of the other people that could have competed but that's not exactly, the exactly. <laughs> the only way to run is this going to be annual now are we going to have pooper sebring every year so you're wishing covid every year on people is that yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, no, it, no just expanding the brand pro covid 19 yeah. We, I, we, oh, we, no. If you listen to our previous episodes, definitely not. <laughs> um, well, we had a league last we're, year. Too. We're only going <laughs> to. Go ahead, Ryan. Well, I was going to say, we're only going to do it on election yeah. years. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fabulous idea. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> There'll never be another election. What are you talking about? Um, <laughs> The uh, we we had a league last year as well called the Continental Cup, which was the same concept, just not as concentrated into a eight week period. I don't see why we wouldn't do it again. Yeah, maybe not as elaborate. Sure, sure, that's awesome. 
Um, I've asked a million questions already. So Tristan, question. Andrew, you guys take over. I, see, I, don't, I don't think they want to answer my questions, but go. Um, no, no, no. It's a little, I mean, we'll, we'll, <laughs> I we'll wanna, direct. I want to hear it. Sorry. Um, well, I, I'm curious. I mean, you guys mentioned uh, the perception of your show once or twice, you know, the perception of the budget, the perception of how it's made. Do you think that the legacy of old classic Top Gear kind of interferes with the show that you're trying to make? Or do you think it helps? The fuck? <laughs> I don't what? know what it is. No, no, I'm not. I, I just, I, I, I'm confused. I, no, I, I'm, I'm genuinely confused. Uh, are people saying we that we're not Top Gear? <laughs> no, no. But I, I think, um, I think it's fair to say that that show kind of set the bar for this kind of content. I mean, when you look, at least when I look at whether it's stuff made on YouTube or other shows, it's yeah. it's sort of the formula, right? How they told the stories, the way they, the way the host interacted. Um, it's that, you know, being serious about the topic, but not taking yourselves too seriously. That's kind of a description. And I, I just wonder if that show and, and them also being on Amazon kind of gives an idea to people who would watch dinner with racers or your fans and, you know, saying it's sort of like the, you know, why is there no more content? What's the deal type thing? So that, that is, I'll give you credit. Cause I've never heard that. Uh, I don't like, I, I I'm going to, I'm going to answer this one as straight as I can. Um, <laughs> I legitimately don't think top gear has ever come up when we were plotting an episode. Like, and I don't, and not in a bad way, because like, they, well, what they do is a great job. I think the, the only easy, thing, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I mean, that, that kind of, uh, that question makes me think like, well, if there wasn't, a, if there was only going to be one real good car show like that, you know, in that, that realm, you wouldn't see like 75 hot rod shows on yeah. velocity discovery, the learning channel, you know what I mean? So, oh, for sure. Yeah. So I think it's, it's enough that it can live anywhere, but I would say that, you know, Top Gear not only was one of the most watched television shows on the planet, it also had a massive, massive budget. And if anyone wants to give us a massive, massive budget, we will work Sean to death. <laughs> <laughs> right, of course. And I, and I was talking less about the practical application of their massive budget and more about sort of does does the legacy of that show, I does it push you to create your content in a certain way? No, no, it doesn't. Uh, they, I mean, there, and, and this is, this is, I mean, you can't argue with the success of the success of, of what top gear was and, and continues to try mm-hmm. to be. Um, but they're very much a formula of a show. Um, they do it incredibly well. I, I think if you were to watch the first six episodes that we put out, I don't really see a whole lot of that formula transfer over to ours. And, and if there was one, kind of rule that Ryan and I went into the first season with is that we wanted all six episodes to be completely separated from one another um, to the point sure. that there's no formula from one episode to another. So I don't, I don't know that that is necessarily a whole, like I, I, I don't really see top gear outside of admiration. I don't really see a whole lot of what they do having a whole lot to do with what we do. The exception being, I think we both want to punch each other. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good influence, you know? You know, it's hard for me to hit a producer because I'm also the producer. Um, but <laughs> uh, but I, I can definitely find ways to get myself fired. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good brag. Um, well, I, I mean, we talked racing. I guess I kind of want to talk a bit at dinner, too, mm. um, because 
we say on this podcast all the time, and while we haven't been to every track in the world, we've said that Road America has the best track food that you can get at a racing event. Mm. Do you think that's accurate or are we just homers? Well, uh, one of the greatest racetrack meals I've ever had is at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So, yeah, you're just homers. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm totally willing to accept that. I like that, I like that you guys or, just let me say that. You're like, uh, okay. <laughs> Our podcast is called Dinner with Racers. You can find it on any podcast app. It's also a show on Amazon Prime. Um, we had a fully catered meal at Indianapolis Motor Speedway provided by the Speedway. Yeah, and it was exceptional, and it was like food to feed hundreds or just three of us. And uh, <laughs> you're going to have a hard time getting either of us to argue against the quality of food that comes from Indianapolis Motor Speedway. That was the uh, Doug Bowles interview, correct? Was that he is president of Indianapolis Motor Speedway? He did a podcast. Well, they better have made a good meal for him. Yeah. The interesting thing was is that the chef, and yes, there was a chef with the hat, the whole thing. He was apparently a fan of our show. So when they told him that we were doing this thing with Doug, he was like, Oh, awesome. And he didn't like, I mean, it was a basic, it was a basic menu. He didn't like make a you know, crazy thing or whatever, but it was so much food, so well done. And then at the end he, he wanted to meet us. And we were like, dude, we're never going to forget this for the rest of our lives. We want to meet you. <laughs> you know, like, it was awesome. We ate on the yard of bricks, literally like the yard of bricks was right past our feet because it was in the bottom of the pagoda on the, on the floor level. It was incredible. But I think you're referring to trackside food. Is that right? Yeah. If you're a fan and you're going to eat your way around a racetrack, is there a place that rivals Road America? I mean, Tristan, when you and I were at Coda, that was pretty good. Huh. Yeah. I'll never forget the the, the uh, bison hot dogs. Hmm. I would I actually, I mean, I, all jokes aside, Road America is awesome in so many ways and their 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 food is pretty killer but like wisconsin in general knows how to do a bunch of things right when it comes to beer cheese custard all that stuff so you know product of the state being really big into food and growing bigger people which i'm working on myself (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh guilty uh that track does a phenomenal job with their catering i'm actually blanking on other tracks that do a great job with it because so much of it becomes not necessarily locals or uh, like a history of being that way. And it becomes budget related. You know, you go to most tracks and they're ordering food from the same distributor that the other tracks ordering from six States away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not right. too far. From I'm, you guys. I'm just realizing too, that that might not be the fairest question for Ryan to answer. Cause what's your schedule like on a race weekend? Like how much time do you even get out to get a chance to go out and explore? I mean, I, I've run into you a few times at road America and I think we, all three of us talked to you at Watkins last year in the pilot challenge um, paddock. But like, how often do you actually just get a chance to go out and explore things on a race weekend? Every weekend. Well, I mean, I should say before this weekend, the most time I got at Coda or sorry, uh, Elkhart last week was uh, I walked down to turn one. Cause that was the only place we could really get because they had us kind of roped off from, from the rest of the, the crowds. And I just stood and turned one and I watched WeatherTech practice for like half an hour. And I try to do that every weekend just to go watch race cars, sit quietly and enjoy seeing it, you know, but, uh, food wise, you don't normally have the kind of time to be like, Hey, I'm going to run down and get a gearbox melt, you know, from the concession center road America. Cause you're literally going from a practice session to a data debrief to a driver's meeting or whatever it is, and maybe doing fan interaction stuff. So you're not stopping to eat at that point. 
And also most of the times they have our meals catered at the track. Not that it's anything fancy or whatever, but you know, you're probably just going to eat that because you know it's free and you're a race car driver. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's free. Yeah. All right. Um, Next question. I, go. I, the question, a question I, I kind of have to ask given um, Andy Lally's performance at road America, if there was, what trait is it that gives him the ability to perform so well across so many different sports cars? Is it track knowledge? Is it feel for the car? What is it that he does so well? Because from the anger. outside, it's totally mystifying. It's anger. <laughs> pure, pure anger. <laughs> is it really? Andrew, have you tried driving race cars then? <laughs> uh, no, that's hate, not anger. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, got a lot of that, too. Uh, <laughs> Andy's full-time sports car team. It's a team called Magnus Racing. Um, Magnus put out a lot of content over the years, making fun of Andy's desire to know like intervals every lap and stuff like that. That's actually part of his psychology of he needs to like be fired up and mad and like focused on I've got to do X thing. Um, Andy's not driven by a love of cars or a love of car racing. He's driven by a love of beating the shit out of people. Um, and so he has to, uh, he has to find something in front of him and he'll go out and beat it every time. That's why Ryan and I are both hoping he's directly behind Earl Bamber at at Daytona this weekend. (laughs) Ooh, I like that. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I would add for Andy, he didn't grow up with a pile of money. There was nobody there to really, you know, say, Hey, you're going to be fine all the way to the pros. And he doesn't, you know, have a, he didn't have like that perfect childhood where it was like straight A's and all that stuff. He'll tell you flat out that he was a bad kid that was skateboarding and, and causing trouble. And, you know, at times running with the wrong people that he shouldn't have been around and carding is what really kind of got him, you know, get, let him realize he was good at something that meant something. And so carding helped get him into forming the cars. People saw that he was really talented. And as soon as he had that, okay, I can do this and I can do this. Well, I'm going to do that. So it's not like he was he, like, he grew up in an awesome home, but you know, he's from Long Island, New York. And in that time period, there's a lot of easy shit to get into. And he literally like got racing, got him to a better lifestyle than he probably would have had. Otherwise, not that it would have been terrible. It's just like racing provided him a really awesome life that he could see the world and, and eat the same food at all these different restaurants. And, (laughs) but he's like, like Sean said, he's absolutely one of the most competitive people you ever meet in any regard. And he has a natural ability to get into different cars with not a lot of seat time and get the most out of them. And I, like when he told me he was doing this deal uh, with the O2 car, I I was like, Oh, you're going to, you're going to be fine. Like I'm actually excited because he always thrives in situations that are kind of a little weird, you know, like the car's got a banged up suspension piece or, you know, it's a team that's last second or it's raining, things like that. He always excels in those interesting situations and they didn't do any practice or qualifying. And it's like, I think, one of the was that the first road course race of this year and he's really good in those cars so it was like the perfect storm so when he was running so well i was like yeah of course he is I, yeah i i thought it was so interesting because my first encounter with that was seeing him um literally jump in a super trofeo car at watkins Glen in 2015 and suddenly it's like wait who who is this he was just doing what before this race and uh it was so amazing that I, it was very unexpected. I just had to know a little bit more about kind of what drives him. He's such an interesting um, figure to watch from the outside. Yeah. How do you yeah. think? Uh, oh, go ahead, Ryan. Sorry. No, no. I, I, I was just going to reiterate kind of what I said. Though. 
Great. Um, so how do you spin off question? How do you think uh, Bamber is going to fare this weekend? Having again, no pr- NASCARs, no practice, no qualifying. First time sitting in it is going to be race time in a car that's so wildly different than what he's used to. <laughs> the driver in me says he's going to be just fine. So much of NASCAR racing is equipment based and he's in a very good car that's done a ton of testing, not him necessarily, but that team would absolutely do the maximum amount of testing and, and different sim work that they can. So it's not like he's getting in the O2 car like Andy did, which is a smaller team. He just got them their best result ever this past weekend. He's getting into a car and a program that's right. one, of, one of the best to ever do it, period, let alone in the Xfinity series. So I think he'll be fine. He knows the track really well. It'll take him a little bit of time to get up to it. But that dude is one of the best race car drivers in sports car racing history. And I, I don't know him super well. Sean and I got to hang out with him a little bit when we did a live show, and we liked him a lot. But just like Andy, that dude is not afraid of anything or anyone. And in fact, when him and Andy have had their discussions off track, he was ready to go. You know what I mean? He was, he's, 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 a, he's a gamer. So Lally's my boy for life, but like I, I actively root for Earl Bamber. I think he'll do a pretty damn good job. It should be fun to see. Um, Andrew, you got anything else on, on Lally on anything else you want to know? Cause I, I want to, unless Tristan has some, I want to switch gears a little bit. Yeah, go for it. So, Nick, go. thank you, Sean. Um, <laughs> it's actually directed towards you. Um, your your calling card with Magnus and in the press releases have always been, and obviously it's it's spilled over into the podcast. Is um, you know the sarcasm, um, being a little self deprecating, making fun of yourself, making fun of other people at times, like so. Is, is that like, how tough a sell is that to people when you were first, again, kind of getting going, like, this is the route we're going to take, you know, there's a lot of high profile representation you're doing in this industry. So I'm not representing anything high profile in this industry (laughs) outside of Continental Tire and Valvoline. Um, (laughs) Yeah, just a couple small companies. I'm I'm not trying to be a dick. What is your, I'm confused. What is your question? Sorry, what was that? What, I, I'm confused. What 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 is the what, like? How do I turn so, into into being a sellable product? So is is that a is that a tough sell if you, if you're sitting with a client or a potential client and saying, "Hey, here's here's the direction I think we should take with oh, this press yeah. release or this campaign." Oh. Uh, in the case of Magnus. Um, Probably not. Uh, uh, I Magnus stuff, which is probably what I'm most known for, which if, I, I don't know if people who listen to this necessarily know much about Magnus in the past. I'm not involved with them this year, although I do wish nothing but good things. Um, you know, that that was very much a collaboration between the team owner, John Potter, and myself. And, and by pure serendipity, John and I were united years ago, and we have very, very similar sense of humor. Not too different from, say, Ryan and I in the sense that that – you know, dark souls have a way of tending to find each other. Uh, <laughs> so, so you know, to an extent, you kind of, you kind of bring in the company that that you want. And so, if you put it out there, nothing but a dark, sarcastic aura. Those are the people you're going to find yourself surrounded by. It's also why I'm probably never going to get a GM contract. Um, so, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean. So it's it's pretty much it's pretty straightforward. What's what's funny is even pre Magnus, I had a 
for those who knew me, I had a reputation for the kind of stuff that I'm now known for. However, um, Magnus was really the opportunity for that to really kind of flourish. Uh, and as the Magnus stuff continued to, let's say, within its small little world, do well, um, the unique thing, if, I don't know if this is answering your question, but the unique thing that I have found as time has gone on, it's probably one of the reasons why I do less and less kind of kind of commercial work within the sport, um, is that a lot of times people want my badge on something, but they don't actually want me to do it. If that makes mm. any sense, they'll be like, Sean, what's your idea? We'll have Sean do this. And then I do it. And they're like, Oh, we didn't want that. And you're like, that's what I <laughs> but not that way. Yeah. We didn't want, we didn't we, No, We just wanted to, you to say you were doing something, but we didn't want to actually this, like it's, it's, it's one of the reasons I become less and less interested in working in the sport is mm, I, there's, there's uh there's maybe not as much interest in the kind of stuff I'm known for, which is unfortunate, but that's where we are. So I'm very happy to do like what Ryan and I are doing. Next question, very go. Cool. Next question, go. Tristan, say something. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So, um, you know, Nick Nick gave us some uh, some nice uh, intel on you guys above and beyond what we had seen. So the you know kind of Ryan, you have a reputation of being you know. In Nick's words, not a yes man robot, and I'm gonna throw you right under the bus there, Nick. Um, that uh, you know, kind of was that kind of what you were talking about, Sean? Where you know, the the dark souls find each other? Was was that <laughs> was that was that kind of you know open and honest? You know, you know, a lot of fans through social media. You know, when we walked up to you the first time at the track, I, I think Nick, there was a conversation about um, you know. BOP changes that year that you guys immediately launched into um, and you know that open and honest but not just you know all positive and sunshine and rainbows was that a was that kind of a a link between you guys or is that just I think I think the link is just that we're assholes (laughs) I mean like I think all of our friends have thought we should hang out even before we did um, and I think it's just because we're, we like, I don't know that it had anything to do with necessarily a social media presence or, or anything like that. We have a lot of, even if Ryan is way more active on social media, um, we still, I think have the same values in terms of what fan, how fans should be treated on social media, uh, and, and things like that. But I, I honestly think that the, the bridging gap between us, since we were in similar circles was just the fact that we were kind of dark people. I don't know, Ryan, you may disagree with that. I think the differences <clears throat> between me and like some other drivers is that uh, I'll tell you if a fan asks me, how are you going to do this weekend? And I know in this case, the BOP is really good. I'll tell you flat out. I think we can win. And I think some people in this sport, no matter drivers, crew chiefs, whatever, will, will bellyache right away. Well, you know, and I'm like, no, we can win. You know, like I, 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 I can win this race today if, if I have a chance, like if, if everything goes to plan. And at the same time, I'll tell you flat out if we're going to be seventh and it's, and it's bullshit, you, you know what I mean? Cause the, the thing that frustrates me when it comes to stuff like that is I think we're all, everybody in the whole paddock is showing up to race to win. So if you're practicing all, all day long in seventh, you know, you can't go any faster and you're watching other cars do things poorly, but go faster. You're like, well, this isn't what I've signed up for. And I'm happy to say that, but I'm not going to say it like in a, in a disrespectful way or a crude way, I'll just tell you, I'll be honest with you. 
And I think being a genuine person with whatever version of that, of you that is, is always going to relate to people way more than if you're full of shit, whether you're being positive or negative, you know? And so I try to be like, I, I just try to be myself when it comes to all this stuff. And I'm fortunate that partners that I've had, like, you know, Acura Honda, HPD, Continental, like, you know, they've totally let me be me. I don't think we've ever really been told like, Hey, you can't say that. Or, Hey, we don't appreciate you saying that. In fact, we're doing this Acura junior Academy right now with, uh, we have four young drivers that are testing the Acura NSX GT3 car. And it's part of this like program to help bring up drivers. And the, my bosses at HPD, we, we had this big conversation about doing classrooms and I was doing a lot of the classrooms on the first one. We talked about marketing and putting yourself out there and things like that. And one of the things that they wanted me to discuss, they, they put this down was uh, that it's okay to stand up for something if you believe in it. And like, literally we're like, you, you stand up for a lot of uh, different, you know, charities and things that you believe in. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, so if you want to discuss that, I'm like, absolutely I do. And that, that I thought was really cool, but I think it's because I've done it the right way. I haven't been too over the top or too in your face about certain things. I've definitely stepped over the line at times, but I've also tried to be as genuine as I can be. And also I understand that just because you don't agree with me, it doesn't make you an asshole. So I shouldn't treat you as one, even though sometimes I have to remind myself of that. So yeah, I think that's part (laughs) of my, I tell you how it is. Attitude is like, I'm happy to hear your side of something as long as we're just going to keep having a conversation and not turn into yelling and screaming. Right. And I, I think the, just that being genuine, um, I mean, it goes a long way with a lot of people. Right. And, and where I'm coming from on this is like, it's like I watch some NASCAR broadcasts and there are some people in the booth who are just, no matter what they do, this is the greatest thing ever. And they're so innovative and there's this and that. And it's just, I get tired of hearing that. And then when you get someone say like one of your former guests, like Kyle Petty, who calls something out as maybe not the best thing or calls a driver out for something like he's just being that he's being genuine. And it's in a world where like, there's so many yes people, like it's just refreshing. So I guess I I commend you for that. And I commend you both for doing this on, on the podcast too. Well, the thing you got to remember, though, is like we live in a corporate fact. Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah, I got you. Okay. Ryan, go. Okay, Ryan. Ryan going. (laughs) The thing you got to remember is that (laughs) motorsports especially, but anything televised, it has backers of all sorts of different corporate levels. So it's one thing to be that guy that's like, no, I'm going to tell you how it is. And it's another thing, the guy that keeps his job for 30 years for towing the company line. And so it's trying to find the middle, middle ground on that. And if you look at, for example, if we're going to discuss NASCAR, you can say that they're dumb rednecks that do all this stuff, but we've been to their shops. We've seen the amazing things they do. And they're not, you know, that might've been the case for a, for a period of time a hundred years ago, but those guys literally hire F1 aerodynamicists to come work on their cars and have come up with some of the greatest things I've ever heard of that we can't even talk about on the podcast because we get, all sorts of cool intel where people are like, you can't put this on the air, but check this out. And you're like, we just heard something a few months ago that our jaws dropped and we were like, Oh my God. And like, you hear that and you're like, these aren't dub red. Look at the team. So yeah. it, like basically if, if you want to keep your job as a NASCAR commentator, it's probably a good idea to promote the company line, but also 
you can't argue with their numbers. Yes, the fans are leaving, but fans are leaving almost every sport, in motorsports at least. Uh, the TV numbers might be down, but they're still better than IndyCars. They're the second most watched type of racing on the planet, as far as I know, at least, you know, definitely in this country. So right. hate on them all you want, but they are they are a big business. They are hiring a lot of people. And if I'm doing their NBC Sports commentary in 2021, which uh, I'm not, but, I, you know, that's my plug. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go shit on them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but on the same side of that, it happens in all the types of racing that I've watched. And I know you weren't singling out NASCAR, but just an example, I, I actually had a really in-depth conversation once with the former, uh, well, still, still a road racing commentator, but this is when it was speed TV. And I was, I was like, Hey, why is it that you keep saying guys are having a great day when they're running in 12th? Cause if I'm running in 12th, I won't, I don't want to hear <laughs> doing a great job running in 12th. Like as me, as a realist, I want to hear like struggling 12th, not great, you know? hasn't cracked the top 10. There's only 12 or 15 cars. And he was like, because if I go shit on these guys that are trying to do the best they can, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be around too much longer. Like I can, he's like, I hear what you're saying, but you're, you're very inside on the sport. Whereas a casual fan watches and is like, Oh yeah, right on that team's doing 12. Cool. You're also a pro. Yeah, that too. No, no, no. No, no. What I mean by that is, is uh, Ryan's not paying to be here. Mm-hmm. If if right, somebody right. on NBC or Speed TV formerly is sitting there going, "Pay driver X is doing terribly," well, that doesn't motivate them to stay yeah. in the sport, right? So that and that is some of the fine line we have to watch. And and even at a NASCAR or IndyCar level, you know, there's enough private funding in there now that we do have to be sensitive to the people that are keeping lights on. Yep. Super serious racing question here. Very serious. Nope. Very important. Go next. What what the hell is a power track? Uh, any track with long straightaways. Next question. But no, but okay. So we hear this all the time about I Road America. Said next question. I said is next this, question. Is this your fine? <laughs> what is not? What what is an example of a power of a non power track? Lime Rock, Rock Park. Question. Next question. All right. Monaco. Go on. Road courses almost or street courses almost everywhere. Keep going. Go on. Was this your bit? What? Was this, this is, is this your bit? And Andrew has asked a few people this and he hasn't gotten an answer that he's deemed satisfactory yet. They actually had an answer. Unlike everybody yeah. else. It's like the dog chasing the car and you don't know what to do with it. You ask the question and you get used to getting no answer. When you get a good answer, I, <laughs> the, yeah, the bit is over. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, what on, a relative scale, and on that relative scale, power adds up more on some tracks than others. Therefore, they're power tracks. Next question, go. All right, who could eat more wings in a sitting, Montoya or Tony Stewart? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I love the thought. Yeah, the power track doing. one they had an answer for. Uh, <laughs> well, that was a stupid question. Uh, <laughs> I got to go Tony Stewart only because he's probably been eating wings his whole life. And I don't know that Montoya is a wing guy at all. You know, he didn't grow up in this country. Wings weren't really a thing, I'm assuming, in Colombia. So, yeah, he probably lived in Monaco no for a bunch of years and maybe England. Again, wings probably not. the. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Tony Stewart on this. Sean? Tony Stewart's been on our show. He wins. <laughs> when Juan, 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 when I know he's a big fan, when Juan Montoya is listening to this, <laughs> and and uh, wonders why we said that, it's because we haven't had him on, 
So uh, we can we can gladly reevaluate this topic when Juan Montoya comes on our show. I can guarantee you Juan Montoya is not listening to this. We have real guests on. He might if we Drop add him. Want. So you have one car for one lap at any track in the world. What car are you driving and where? I'm assuming this is for Sean. This is for you cut out a little bit there, Ryan. Um, this questions for both of you guys. Uh, so it's any car in the world or any track. Is that the, is that the bit? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I don't know. I say like the current Mercedes F1 car at Talladega on the oval. <laughs> oh, Ooh. Okay. Oh, I see. Well, yeah, because the first part of that answer is what you expect me to say. The second part of the answer is ridiculous. That's comedy folks. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> Next question. Uh, I, Honestly, right. I, I I'm going to throw, throw this one out. <laughs> well, Sean should answer. I'm curious of what his answer is. Am I driving? Yeah, you are driving. Any Honda product on the Kansas Roval. There it is. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> or Acura. Can't argue with that. Yeah, I was told Tristan that the, Andrew, uh, say the HPD PC oh, car... Right. So, as a... Go ahead. Go ahead. Ryan, now, go. Everybody that's, everyone that's driven the P2 HPD car, like Dario Franchitti, Tony Kanon, all these guys, they claim that that car, it's the one that's on iRacing that everybody loves to race. They claim that car is the best race car yeah. they've ever driven. It did everything perfect and it would be awesome. So I would say like having a rip around like Road America and that thing would probably be pretty rad. Um, and I've never sat in the thing, so I don't know, but like they claim that thing was awesome. Like turn one at road Atlanta was flat. Turn one at Sebring was flat. Like that's pretty crazy. So I'd like to drive something like that. I think that'd be pretty cool. That is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's like stupid fast and the commitment level. Cause if something goes wrong, that's it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You want to yeah. talk about like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like inch perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. All right, Tristan, you were up. All right, so uh, be, being a fan of them myself, um, the uh, you know, Sean, you always have a chicken sandwich. That's not a joke at all. It's totally real. Next question. Right. <laughs> yep. Um, that's that, that that that's not a joke. There is a there's a question here. Okay. Which one was your favorite? Who who has the best one? The closest one to me. Whichever <laughs> one, the best camera is the one you have with you. The that best chicken sandwich right is the one you can reach. Right. Favorite. It's like the ladies. <laughs> Whatever's available. I understand entirely. I understand entirely. These guys can corroborate. Yeah, no, yeah, that's absolutely. that's Tristan's move too. Classic chicken sandwich anywhere. Absolutely. Where's yours, uh, Tristan? Uh, my current favorite is actually the spicy chicken sandwich from Culver's, which has the double benefit of actually being the closest restaurant to my house with a chicken oh. sandwich and also delicious. We've only recently discovered Culver's. Uh, well, hang on, uh, hang on, hang on. No, no, no. Hold on. On in the I've road, I've been going to Culver's since I started driving. Recently, real time. Uh, pandering. On the okay. So yeah, so don't put so don't put words in your mouth is what you're saying, Ryan, because you've had it for a while. 
Look, I've been eating Culver's since 2015, so, I mean, I'm clearly old school. So the thing about Culver's is that they serve custard and not ice cream, and I'm a huge custard fan. And last year on our road trip doing uh, the TV show, we drove through, I think we were somewhere in Kentucky on the way back from Indy, and like one of the last things that was open was a Culver's, and we went through the drive through and it was one of the best fast food meals we'd ever had. Like Everything was perfectly packaged, yeah. perfectly packaged prepared and we were like not in a good mood at that point anyway so it was like this is the one thing yeah (laughs) normally normally the 11 o'clock or midnight stop at the fast food like we're just ready for a fight with whoever's uh, on the other side (laughs) (laughs) the window it's like are you guys aware of the mcdonald's uh flurry machine conspiracy yes yeah yes it's a huge thing for us (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah which, we are real mad thing. which reason do you like the most the, it's always being cleaned they just don't want to do it what's the well, favorite then, theory the thing is that it's t- so that as as we understand it it's too hard to clean um and yeah. so they just like they just don't want to turn it on again because they have to reclean it if they do that now i'm not saying that that's okay but i understand that logic what i don't appreciate is if that's the reason don't lie to us don't say it's broken <laughs> Just say tell me, I don't want to make you your flurry. Yeah. Look me in the eye and say, you're not worth my time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So I had a, that, that, I had a very honest um, drive through experience late night at a Taco Bell one time. Um, oh, God. This just reminds me, I pulled up to, you know, roll down the window to, to place the order and the, and the, Young lady comes across and says, hello, welcome to Taco Bell. Just to let you know, we are out of chicken and beef and our soda machine is broken. <laughs> oh, I'm closed. What okay. are you doing? So, so I just said uh, three steak quesadillas for the car and water, please. <laughs> right. We just, we, we just recently had a, uh, a fun run in with a lady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll let you know. Where you were going with that. No, no, go ahead. You do it. You do it. You do it. So we're in like the middle of nowhere. I can't say where, but middle, but not only were we in the, the state is the middle of nowhere, but we're in the middle of nowhere. And uh, it's getting like that kind of time. And also looking at the map, I'm like, we're driving through nowhere and uh, for the next like four hours. So if we don't get something in this little town, it's going to be like gas station food. So we, we pull into town. The first thing we see that's like definitely open is McDonald's. This is McDonald's, right? Sure. Yeah. I don't know. I think it yeah, was. Yeah, I think it was a McDonald's. No, was it Burger King? Anyways, so we I was stopped. actually thinking it was Burger King, but either way. I think it, it was. It was BK Lounge. So we stop at the Burger King. We pull up, and it takes a little while to get like a response on the, on the, uh, on the call box, but there was a guy in front of us that had just driven up and, and on. So we're sitting there for quite a while, and finally it comes on like, yeah, what would you like? And, and we order. And they're like, okay, pull around. So we pull around and uh, we pull up to the to the first window and we stop. And it's like a ghost town in there. There's no one at the window. And we're sitting there for a while. And the guy in front of us, we never saw where he stopped, but he's at the second window. Yeah. So it's like, I guess we'll just go to the second window after sitting there for you know a pretty long amount of time. It was a while. Yeah, it was, it was yeah, long yeah. enough, I would assume, because it's not uncommon, especially late night. For there only to be one working window. So you would like, it was a long enough time that we were definitely at that assumption point that that window was just not staffed. Mm-hmm. Go on. Yeah. So after sitting right, there for, yeah. you know, much longer than normal, we pulled up to the next window once the guy left 
And uh, the lady like opens the door or the, the, you know, the little window and is like not happy. And uh, she's like 1750 or whatever it was. And I'm like, yeah, here you go. Hand her my card. And I'm like smiling and happy because I already sense that there's a problem. And uh, it's trying to be friendly here. <laughs> you know? Like, let's just diffuse this a little bit. A little less spit for this trip would be good. So, you know, I'm like, yeah, here you go. No problem. And uh, she stops and she looks at me and she goes, do you want a receipt from the first window? Oh, <laughs> damn. No, I want a receipt from this window. Make it happen. So I was like, yes, please. Because <laughs> like, I'm leaving this town forever and this is your next 10 years, which is fine, but you're being rude. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, so then we got our food and like every interaction after that, like she's very crude, like just sticking the receipt in my face. I'm like, oh, thanks a lot. And, you know, they're just like handing us our food. I'm like, great. Have a great day. And she's like, yeah. So. <laughs> so you were still that pleasant about your delivery the entire time. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, oh, you have there is no, there's no other way to go. That's what really gets him mad. <laughs> oh yeah. We, had, we were discussing that for like the next hour that she probably came home from work because she was so mad and was like, you won't believe what this asshole did today at the Burger King. And like her, <laughs> her poor roommate lover, whatever is like, Oh God, what, what happened? Like this one idiot in a blue MDX drove past the first window to the second window. And I had to walk 30 seconds from the second window back to the first window to get the receipt. And do you know what he said to me? He said, have a nice day. The balls on this guy. <laughs> what an asshole. Or maybe she was a fan, yeah, you know, just like, and that just crushed her. Yeah. She was like, man, yeah, they say never meet your heroes. Especially. I thought they'd be thinner. I thought they'd be thinner. <laughs> <laughs> and now yeah. she's check engine for life. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's yep. right. We've got a new fan. <laughs> um, well, I mean, fans we're kind of what, what was that? Do, do fans know that they have to choose between you or us? We haven't told them to, cause we've actually promoted you guys on our podcast a few times. We encourage people to go listen to you. That's so I don't how, think they know. That's, they have why, to that's, that's why our how, listenership is what it is. So no, they all go, we promote them and then they have to leave because they make the choice. No, see, because yeah. you could take the attitude that that, you know, motorsports media could help each other and and maybe help grow the sport. <laughs> or you could take the attitude that it's us and nobody. You have to choose one. And so I just hope your fans choose wisely. <laughs> I think we got a pretty smart group of fans. I so hope so. They'll probably make the correct choice. Andrew, you were saying. I was just going to say, um, I mean, we're kind of at an hour here. I, I don't want to take too much more time. Um, but um, I, I feel so we, we just recently got a, a little brand redesign courtesy of Styled Aesthetic. And I think you guys know them as well. And the problem is they sent us back black and orange logos. So do we have really? to feel self, self-conscious about that? Uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, maybe it's, I think you're going to be hearing. Like, you're probably going to be hearing from our attorney pretty quickly, right, Sean? Yeah, is once he's out of house arrest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, 
So welcome, folks, to one of the last episodes of the Check Engine Podcast. <laughs> the the final. <laughs> I I do uh, I do love seeing the Dinner with Racers logos on everywhere. I think it's I mean so um, it's so recognizable and it's really cool to see that merch all over the place. I don't know it, it's uh, inspiring to us as aspiring uh, podcasters anyway. I think if you uh, if you look at where we thought this was going to go, and then you see the amount of support we have, it, it's pretty. Uh, we're still both like kind of blown away by it because we're like we're we're not that good. Like why would you? Um, but I drove into Road America this past weekend for the uh, IMSA race or whatever it was a couple weeks ago, and uh, I right, right when I drove in, I saw a guy wearing the No Mill shirt, and I was like. That like I haven't seen that this year because I haven't seen fans at a racetrack since Daytona, and we had a ton of fans at Daytona, but it feels like that was three years ago, right? So it was kind of like seeing it for the first time again because it's been so sure. long, and I was like, man, that's so awesome! And by the rules, I'm not allowed to stop and talk to this guy <laughs> because we're not supposed to interact with anybody <laughs> and all that crap. And I was like, yeah. so I like I like honked and waved really slowly, and he gave me a thumbs up and. Uh, and then on the pre-grid, when you drive into Road America, they have that one cool pre-grid that the fans can walk right up alongside. And uh, he was there with his uh, wife or girlfriend or whatever, and also all kitted out and uh, big thumbs up and everything. And I slowed the race car down and waved because it's like, how cool is that? The race car slows down for the for the T-shirt, I thought. And uh, huge big thumbs up, pictures, the whole thing. And it's just like, man, I can't wait until we can do more more stuff with fans because we've had we've had so much support, like like. I didn't see this coming and it's, it's been awesome to see that much love and to the point where we like, we got involved with Valvoline this year. And when we, when we announced the Valvoline partnership, they got destroyed on social media, just like blown up. Everybody was really giving them a lot of love for supporting us to the point where one of their, one of the guys that does marketing, that's not our direct rep came over and was like, is this fake? Are they, are they, faking people to do this. And he's, and he's like, are you bobbing? Yeah. He's like, he's like, these numbers Russian are bot farms. Yeah. They're like, these numbers are really awesome. we got a lot of people showing a lot of love and he's like, nah, dude, like it's pretty cool. So we can't, we can't say thanks enough for that because obviously we wouldn't exist without them. So yeah. So like we got it really good. Yeah. Definitely. So, so for our one or two fans that listen, who haven't listened to you guys or don't know where to find you, um, where can they go to check out all things dinner with racers? They can go to dinnerwithracers.com, which is of course where it all lives, but the podcast is pretty much available on all the normal podcast providers. So, uh, whatever app you use, just look us up. And then of course, Amazon prime is our television series, which, uh, there are no new episodes, but, uh, we have six episodes from last year that are out. And we have a hundred and something podcast episodes to listen to. Even the ones from five years ago still hold up today. We specifically try not to date them to a specific era of time. And uh, I, I, I think that's it for the sale. And where can they go on, uh, on social? Where can they find you guys? Ryan? Well, I think we took down our grinder account. Uh, <laughs> damn it. Because we weren't using it enough. It was like, a Yeah. Once we found each other, we didn't need it. So uh, obviously you can go on Twitter, which is probably like our, our biggest, most interactive platform at DWR show dinner with racers on Facebook. And we don't really use our Instagram account because uh, we don't make enough money to hire someone to do it. yet. Thanks. So 
Yeah. <laughs> One more thing. Exactly. We have a YouTube know, channel as well. Dinner. kept getting sad comments. Yeah, right. No, it's like I every time someone asks about that one episode. from that guy, yeah. if, the guy who said that he needed a life or friends, I laughed really loud at that comment. Yeah, we have a YouTube so, channel as well that all the uh, iRacing events that we put on this year live, as well as a bunch of other PR com- uh, stuff we've done and, and little video content pieces to promote certain series and things like that. So YouTube, Dinner with Racers, but yeah. That's uh, where we're all the places you normally would be. Cool. So you mentioned already, Ryan, like Daytona felt like it was so, so long ago. It's been a really just fucked up year. Um, so what is next for you guys in, in terms of the podcast? Um, you know, your show is obviously based on sitting down to dinner with people. Is it going to be like video dinner calls or how are you guys? What's your next step here? That's a great question. Yeah, we've been working on a lot of different ideas and ways that we can create content within the current, you know, situation that's going on. I think we've been uh, pretty adamant on doing it the right way. And one thing we'll always revert back to, which is one of our staples in our, in our DWR Bible is, we're not going to do it unless we can do it our way and do it to the levels that Sean has dictated. So we're not just going to start putting out crap because you know, it's, it's easier because of this downtime. So we're still going to try to maintain a high level of quality, but also the kind of humor and, and interesting things that we normally come up with. So I think our fans uh, down the road, uh, our, our product that we're going to put out is still going to be just as good. Excellent. And then real quick to you again, Ryan, um, VIR coming up next um, in the LA and the LA Honda world civic TCR with Taylor Hagler. Um, you said it before you're, you're going to be honest. What kind of shot do you guys uh, think you have going into VIR and finishing out the IMSA season? Jesus, Ugh, man, it's been a shitty year. You know, we had, we've had two tire failures, not related to the team or the car uh, that are, you know, kind of, a, a big problem. We saw it last year with the, with the same tire and, and, uh, weirdly didn't fix itself over the off season. So, uh, first that Watkins, Oh, Watkins, Lime Rock. We had like, I mean, there was multiple issues throughout the season where we had issues and, uh, throughout the season, they started adjusting the amount of camber, the amount of toe pressure, all these things. And, uh, it, it just became a bit of a problem. Uh, it sounds like there's going to be a new tire compound coming soon. That'll hopefully, fix this problem, but, uh, it's been, you know, it's been a bit of a bit of an issue. The, uh, road America race, I thought we were actually going to be pretty strong. And, uh, I was looking forward to hopefully getting on the podium with Taylor, but we had a, uh, electrical issue that was really strange. Actually, we're not really sure how it happened, but uh, basically something, something hit the, the wiring harness to the turbo actuator and cut it, which I haven't seen in three years of racing this car. No one else has either on the planet. So that was weird, but, uh, if the car runs as well as it did at VIR, we should be able to finish directly behind all of the Hondas that keep winning all the races by leaps and bounds. <laughs> I didn't Racing hear that. Four, fifth. Ryan, I didn't not, hear that. Can you say that one more time? Now, it, it, if everything goes to plan, team executes, uh-huh. drivers execute, and everything is perfect, uh-huh. myself right, and my teammates should finish right behind all the Hondas. I didn't hear that. Could you say that one more time? All, right behind, <laughs> right, 
right behind all the factory Hondas. Sorry, I make sure I wrote factory in there too. Uh, but only if it's not just BOP, but it's also a fuel mileage race. Because when one car can go 10 minutes longer than every other car in the field, that's also the fastest car in the field. It begs the question, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you know, I have always wondered how how the BOP mentally affects racers. And I think you've answered that handily. Oh, it's been eye-opening, especially back to like the TLX days when we had a car that clearly wasn't designed based on the current rule set, but the series really wanted it to be there in theory, or at least they said that a lot. And then we would have the best open wheel engineers on the planet, like in, in North America at HPD doing simulation work on the rule set that they've been given six weeks in advance. And then they would come back with a simulation and go, Hey, you're going to be 17th on the grid at this next race based on what we got here. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. So don't try to kill myself because it's going to be 17th. Got it. Thanks. And then we'd weirdly be 17th on the grid. And it's like, I don't know. Like that would be the series response. <laughs> and you're like, well, our guys did. They told you six weeks ago in an email. So it's eye-opening when you deal with it on that level. But then when it's supposed to be in like a series that's globally really competitive and you have all these like successful races in one series with one kind of car that then it goes to another series and it can't do so well. I think the, the, the thing to remember at the end of the day is that in this particular case, Hyundai and Brian Herter racing are doing exactly what they should be doing, which is kicking ass and taking names. It's then in the series or, you know, whoever's doing the BOPs best interest to then make sure that all the Honda teams don't leave because it's completely not possible to be successful. So kudos to the team doing the job they're doing, but also how far off could we be to begin with for teams to dominate to that level? And it wasn't just the, as, uh, TCR class. If you look at the car that won in GS, it was extremely, extremely competitive uh, in certain ways. And if you look at the GTD class for the last couple of weeks, it's been pretty <laughs> eye-opening how one car could be so good and that they, they couldn't see this coming. So uh, definitely a hard job to do. But also, like if everybody on the inside from all the manufacturers is like, well, yeah, that was going to happen. Why wouldn't it happen? Then why isn't why isn't other people saying the same thing? Do you think? Um, specifically with like newer cars. So like the Veloster N is, I think is the second year, maybe third year. Um, you know, you see it with the new CA Corvette and GTLM. It seems like a newer car does really well out of the gate. Is it because of, they just don't have a lot of data to fall back on or like, is there some sort of underlying marketing ploy in there as well? It's just something I wonder something that Andrew actually brought up too once. Yeah, and I think that's a most that's probably the most common theme that you hear from fans that aren't there every weekend saying like, well, you know, why is that car so good? This was not so good. But what I will say is like right now, the Audi in TCR is the oldest car by far, and it tends to be the fastest car in a straight line. And it's not the slowest car through the corners. It's not the fastest either. But Audi's not putting anything into TCR, and that car is a rocket ship. Also have the Alpha in my class, which is by far – it's the only one I think in the country right now, it seems like, but also like alpha doesn't put Mm -hmm. anything into road racing. They're not going to build a DPI car tomorrow. That would make you want to think that that's why that car be successful. And that car also has really great BOP. So I I honestly don't know what to tell you because some of these races, you see cars that should win finish dead last because the team messes up or they, they break or whatever, but you're like, yeah, but that car could have won if everything went the right way. 
you know, it had the fastest lap. I had the best, pit, like the best, you know, average pace for two drivers and it didn't win. And then nothing happens to it because it finished hey, last. Hey, Ryan, that doesn't mean it's not competitive. Hey, Ryan, it's, it's Sean. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, Sean, Ryan, Ryan, Sean, go. Hey, Ryan, Ryan, go. it's Sean here. Go. How many go. are there again? Go. How many alphas are there? How, how, many, how many alphas are there? I believe there's one. Alphas? Yeah, one. I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. One alpha. Could you? I didn't hear you say that. There's one alpha. Is like, that what you said? Could you confirm that? You like our that? show, there's one alpha. Uh huh. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Slips sips bourbon slowly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mm. Yeah. No, it's been a lot of fun, guys. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think that's a good a time as any uh, to kind of I, I get actually no, I don't. Want I don't want to end on that note. I don't think it's good to, to, to crap on the, the series that we're in. Um, so if we could, if we could celebrate a couple of things, like for example, the GTD category, which is by design, a pro-am category. It's a category made for private teams, private individuals racing with, with co-drivers. Um, I, I applaud that, that it is what it is right now. Um, you know, the fact that it, uh, certain cars seem to win all the time, with driver lineups the way they are is is definitely unique but i applaud that they've uh, they've <laughs> the opportunities that they have for a lot of amateur drivers that are currently winning well that sounds like a perfect way to end <laughs> very well said shot yeah. <laughs> there's a warm I, fuzzy feeling to take I us out applaud that we're saying some people's money doesn't matter as much as certain manufacturers because i mean i know that a guy like john potter has been in the sport paying his bills on time since 2010 but meh (laughs) (laughs) all right i I like that so i like the honesty yeah i love the honesty so we have obviously uh taken up a lot of your time here and we really appreciate you guys doing this for us or doing this with us. Um, we can't, again, can't thank you enough. We wish you all the success, Ryan, both on the racetrack, both of you with, um, the, the podcast going forward. Um, again, thank you so much guys. Really. Absolutely. We appreciate coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having us. So folks, That wraps up the Dinner with Racers edition of the Check Engine podcast. Thanks for sticking with us today. Um, We appreciate you listening, but we don't just want you to listen. We want to interact with you. Um, You can find us online at checkenginepodcast.com or all over the socials, Facebook, search Check Engine Podcast. Twitter and Instagram are both at Check Engine Pod because our name is too long. Um, So reach out to us there, like, subscribe. Send us, um, interact with us. Let us know what you like, what you don't. Um, We cannot wait to talk to you guys again. But until then, take care.